Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome to the Get Better Wellness Radio Show. Today is July 10th, and I'm your host, Erin Chamberlick, the Real Food Revivalist, coming to you live from Chicago. If you um, feel like you cannot stop eating sugar once you start, um, you are in the right place. Do you sometimes bake a pan of brownies for your family and you start cutting a piece for yourself and then you start shaving off a row and before you know it, you've eaten the whole pan? Well, do you want to free yourself from the painful consequences of a sugar addiction and yet it seems impossible? that that might happen because you've been trying to free yourself for 5, 10, 15 years or more. Well, I want to just tell you to stay tuned. You're in the right place. And we have an expert guest today who will share with us how we can eat a low or no sugar diet without relying on willpower and white knuckling it. So hang in there. Help is on the way. Um, this is Get Better Wellness Radio, and you can find my website at getbetterwellness.com. So let me welcome our guest today. Her name is Carly Pittman. Welcome, Carly. Oh, thank you for having me, Erin. I was chuckling as I listened to you talking about the brownies. <laughs> um, I could definitely You can relate, relate to that, right? To that. <laughs> Yeah, although for me it would it it literally would not stop until the the whole pan. You know, you do the shaving, and then before you know it, it's a whole row. And uh, for me, it and was, then it some was people will go to the ex- some people go to the extreme of actually baking the second pan of brownies because they can't have their family coming in, and they're like, "Oh, you made brownies? Where are they? Um, I ate them." <laughs> so I know yeah, that might be I've hitting done that close so to home. many times. Yeah, I Well, let me just Sorry, let me just give them a little bit of your background and then we'll let you talk. I'm sorry that we're kind of stepping over each other. There's a little bit of delay in the line just for the listeners and we we're trying not to do that, but um Carly, she has lived the sugar addict's life. So she comes with um lots of experience and we will get her story in a minute. But she has, you know, overcome her sugar addiction, and now she is helping others do the same. And she has authored several works, uh, like Overcoming Sugar Addiction. And you can um, check this out on Amazon.com, Overcoming Sugar Addiction for Life. And she has a 30-day program that we'll find out about in a little bit. So, Carly, let's start with your story. I'm wondering, like, this is what I usually ask my clients. You know, first I say, when was the last time, you know, you felt good? But what for this question, describe for us what what was going on in your life when you first realized you had a problem with sugar? Mm. Yeah, I recognized that I had a problem with sugar when I was pretty young. Um, the the first challenge that showed up for me with food was actually eating disorders. So I became bulimic when I was in high school and uh, really struggled with bulimia for several years. And then when I was a, a young woman in my 20s, I was trying to find healing and answers for the bulimia and the binge eating. So I wasn't just binging and purging. I was I was often just binging. And my favorite binge foods at the time 
where's sugar? And, you know, I wasn't binging on broccoli and chicken breasts. I was binging on candy and uh, massive and massive amounts of, you know, pastries and muffins and ice cream, um, all those starchy carbohydrates and sugars. And so I recognized that there was something going on. And for me, the the real aha moment was when I read Kathleen de Maison's book, Potatoes, Not Prozac. And I remember okay. reading that book with tears streaming down my face uh, because she put the pieces together and helped me recognize, like, oh, yeah, I think I'm someone who is sugar sensitive. And for people who are unfamiliar with her work, what Kathleen did was she was one of the first people who actually studied and labeled this problem of being sugar sensitive. And when she uses the term sugar sensitive, what she means is someone whose body reacts strongly to sugar. So someone who's sugar sensitive is someone who, when they start nibbling on that pan of brownies, they literally can eat the entire pan until they feel sick. And there's a couple different components of that that are, have to do with your physiology. And it has to do with blood sugar, and it has to do with um, beta endorphins and uh, chemicals in the brain. And, you know, I'm someone, I'm hypoglycemic, I have low blood sugar. So there was definitely these physiological things going on. And when I read her book, it helped me understand and really heal some of the shame I'd felt for so long about myself. Because I could look back in my childhood, you know, I called myself a sugar baby. You know, I was a kid who, when I went trick-or-treating on Halloween, I would get a pillowcase full of candy, right. and my pillowcase yeah. full of candy would be gone in a week. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, whereas someone else, you know, some of my friends, they'd have candy the next. They have candy from Halloween left over the very until the next Halloween. I remember mm-hmm. thinking, how can you do that? <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was recognizing and looking back that wow, I had a really sugar sensitive body that I really craved it. And I ate a lot of it. And I could look back even as a child and recognize I was definitely using sugar and food for comfort as a small child. So now I had this knowledge. I understood, okay, I'm sugar sensitive. I really got it when I read her book. Like, I need to stop eating this for my health and well-being. And yet the yes but how question came into play. And it took me literally over a decade to go from intellectually understanding that yes, I'm sugar sensitive, I need to restrict and limit the amount of sugar that I eat, and yet how do I do that? Because I would go through this pattern where I'd be sugar-free for a while and I'd be feeling really great, and my, you know, and when I say I'm feeling great, I mean my moods would stabilize, I wouldn't have those up-and-down blood sugar swings, I wasn't craving as much, I, I felt really stable. My That up and down weight would stabilize. I'd have more energy. But then what would happen was I'd get to this place of, well, because I'm feeling so good, I can have that little treat. I can have that brownie. <laughs> and I would forget. I would forget that, oh, it's the sugar that makes me feel so crappy. And I'd eat the sugar. And as soon as I'd start to eat the sugar again, it would take months then of once I'd have that sugar in my system again, I would really crave it and really want it. And it would take months then for me to get back to that place of giving it up again. So that was the dynamic for me for over 10 years. Um, And then the turning point 
And the, the question that most interested me was, I recognized that I was sugar sensitive. I really got it. But the question became, well, how? How can I honor that, that limit in my body in a way that isn't relying on willpower and self-control and white-knuckling it? Because my white-knuckling it only could last for so long. Um, and that became my kind of probing question and my inquiry of myself that really guided me of, okay, how do I do this? Because there's a lot of people out there who even say to give up sugar is impossible and you shouldn't right. even try. And it's, you know, it's your making the food bad or wrong that's causing all the stress. Mm-hmm. And I understand the logic of that. I really do. And yet I couldn't argue with my physiology, meaning my body is what it is. It is sugar sensitive. I do have the hypoglycemia. I can't change that. So for me, it was a real place of surrender of this is how my body is made. Not It's not how I want it to be. You know, my husband is a man who can eat whatever he wants, meaning he can have a brownie and he can have a taste <laughs> and he's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not me and that's not my story. And when I work with people with sugar, that's what I hear over and over again, that there is a real grief and a loss and a frustration initially of accepting the limits of a sugar-sensitive body. You know, and for some people it may not be sugar sensitivity. It may be the um, it may show up in other areas. It may be that they have a a life-threatening condition or or something with their thyroid. Or um, you know, I've read your story. There's lots of other reasons why people mm-hmm. might recognize that sugar is a, a food that isn't good for their well-being. You know, for me, it was beyond even the physical. It was causing a lot of real uh, mental uh, unwellness in my life, those up and down moods and the shame I felt after I would binge and eat sugar. It was just causing tremendous havoc. So different people have different reasons for recognizing, like, wow, I need to limit the amount of sugar I eat. It may be an eating disorder. It may be someone who I hear from a lot of people who have cancer, you know, who there's a lot of recognition now that um, yep. eating a low-sugar diet with cancer. Uh, but, again, the, the most interesting question for me was always, well, if I recognize I need to stop eating it, how can I do that? Um, and, you know, when I wrote my book, Overcoming Sugar Addiction, I first wrote it in 2008. And when I wrote that book, I really thought that I had come to that place of acceptance about sugar and accepted that I wasn't going to be able to eat it and done that kind of inner work that brought me to that place of willingness. Well, what's interesting about writing that book was uh, about a year after I wrote that book, I started going through just the hardest four years of my life, this giant unraveling, and pretty much every area of my life (laughs) fell apart, and I went back to sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was really humbling and challenging and frustrating and discouraging, and I felt embarrassed because here I'd written this book. Yeah, right. And, oh, it was really, really um, just very vulnerable, and I was really hurting in this really tender space. And yet what that period taught me is it really helped me go deep into these tools that we'll talk about in a minute of because uh, I recognize in looking back, I was still using a lot of willpower and control to not eat sugar. And there was a lot that I still wasn't willing to feel. And so that really difficult time in my life really helped me befriend, in many ways, all the 
deep urges in my body that were leading to the cravings. Because for me, they weren't just physical. They were also emotional. Um, it wasn't just the, mm-hmm. the physiology of blood sugar. There was very much sugar was like my mother. It was my best friend. It was how I soothed myself and how I cared for myself and um, how I came down at the end of the day and um, how I cared for feelings like anger. Um, so I recognized when things started really falling apart that I needed to turn towards these sugar cravings and care for them in a different way. I wasn't going to be able just to, quote, control my sugar addiction and my cravings with willpower. So what worked for me... Let me just ask you one (laughs) question. Um, So, you know, people might be listening, and we've said sugar addiction, but um, does carb addiction, bread addiction, you know, also fit the the story here? Yes, and it's it's those starchy carbs, it's sugar. For some people, it is more where they could they could give or give or leave a an ice cream cone, but but if they had to stop eating bread, it would for them that would be the really really cha- the real challenge. And so it can show up in in different ways. Um, you know, my understanding of sugar addiction is that it's not just the sugars like the ice cream or the brownies or the muffins. It's also those things like the, the white breads and the real simple starches. Um, you know, in fact, my favorite binge food of all time is dried fruit, you know, a, fruit, a food that people think of as natural and healthy, you know, and mm-hmm. I would go to the health food store and get my organic dried fruit. <laughs> But, you know, dried fruit has more sugar in it than a candy bar. Uh, So the way to think of it that might help your listeners is it's not just the, whether it comes in the form of a candy bar or whether it comes in the form of of a big glass of juice. You know, a lot of juices and natural juices have more sugar than a Coke. For me, it's really that sweet hit. It's that knock in your bloodstream of all those sugars, whether it comes in the form of potato chips or bread or or, or, or juice or dried fruit or a Snickers bar. Right, and people don't think of potato chips as a high-sugar food because sugar is not added, but it's a highly processed white potato or <laughs> some grain that's mm-hmm. um, just shooting up your blood sugar and, you know, they're addictive too in their own way. So we overeat them and we're eating tons of sugar in the end. So, you know, when I ask people about cravings, you know, I ask about salt cravings too because that's really a hidden sugar craving um, if it's if the answer is like chips. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, those cravings for the, you know, they're, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm thinking about they have candy bars that combine the salt and the fat and the sweet. <laughs> you know, those the food marketers know what they're doing. Right. They hit all our craving taste buds. Um, so when you're looking at any craving, I look at sugar addiction as there's a physiological component and that's what I really learned in Kathleen's work of understanding the science of sugar addiction. And if any of your listeners are struggling with sugar addiction and they want to really understand on a science level what that means, 
uh, I highly recommend Kathleen's work for that because she explains it much better than I and in great detail about how sugar really affects your physiological body. Um, so so Potatoes Not Prozac is a great place to start if you're wanting to understand okay. that. Um, but there's also an emotional component of sugar addiction. And when I first started in my own life trying to heal my sugar addiction, I really thought that, well, if I just handle the physiological stuff, that'll be enough. In other words, if I just stop eating it, then that's enough by itself. I don't have to look at any of the other stuff. And this is my experience, so everybody's experience is different. But in my experience, that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough just to say, no, I'm never going to eat it again, because that emotional stuff came up. And it would come up for me in the form of, well, you're feeling so good, it, you know, you can have sugar now. Or even though I wasn't eating sugar and wasn't feeling those extremes of the up and down physiological cravings for sugar, I was still having emotional cravings for sugar. I was having a lot of sugar nostalgia that would particularly show up around mm-hmm. holidays. So, you know, on Thanksgiving when everybody's eating their big turkey dinner and you pull out the pumpkin and apple pies, you know, what was going mm-hmm. on in my head? Well, what was going on in my head was, it's not fair. I want to eat it. It smells really good. Oh, it really won't hurt. Uh, so that's what I mean by all those that emotional stuff that came up. And so for me to be free from sugar, I recognized for myself that I had to care for both the physiological components and the emotional component, that it wasn't enough for me to just say, well, I'm just not going to eat it. Um, Mm -hmm. So honoring both pathways was how I found the inner and outer freedom. Because I have to say, in my life, there were times where I was completely sugar-free, and I've talked and worked with other people who've been at that space. And yet, if you are sugar-free and you're not free, sugar-free in a physical level, meaning you're not eating it, and yet every day you're waking up with this feeling like you're going to run a gauntlet that day so you don't eat sugar, and it feels yeah. like this battle of, you know, how I'm not going to eat it. And, you know, as you hit different points throughout your day where you're at work and someone's passing out donuts or you're driving home from work and you're at the gas station and you see the candy bars there, you know, all those little places where you're feeling kind of hooked of I shouldn't eat it, I want to eat it, I shouldn't eat it, mm-hmm. that doesn't feel very free at all. And that's what I wanted. I wanted the deepest freedom on the inside. And that's what I yeah, found Carly, in what I teach. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, because I know people are recognizing themselves with, um, you know, the shame, and we may have those great intentions on Monday morning that I'm never eating it again or never doing whatever again. It's always on a Monday morning. And then, yeah, you can't, like, not go grocery shopping or get your gas, and so you're encountering these things. But I'm just wondering, um, I mean, that's one thought, but the other thought I would want to ask is it's not really an, a quantity because some people are like, oh, it's not that bad what I do, but is it, you know, do you kind of have to think about the the feelings that you have, the emotions, the shame at, you know, w- what point do you, you hate yourself and you're like, I can't stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. If I could say anything about the shame, it would be that it's not your fault. And I think the shame of struggling with sugar 
in my experience and from talking with others, is often more painful than even the weight gain or the mood swings or any other consequence of the sugar. It's the shame because we feel like we should know better and we do have these great intentions and we get frustrated and discouraged and we feel like there's something wrong with us. We feel like we have no willpower, which is why I say it isn't about willpower. Struggling with sugar is not a character defect. It's not your fault. It doesn't mean that you're lazy. It doesn't mean that you're not strong or tough. It's merely a sign that you have probably a sensitive nervous system and you have a physiology that's sensitive to sugar. And so it's not about blaming ourselves for something that's, quote, out of our control. And we live in a society that's really fixated on control, and particularly with food stuff. You know, there's a lot of messages in our culture that imply that if you have a weight issue or a food issue, it is due to lack of willpower and laziness. And I don't agree with that perspective, and that's not how I see it. Instead, right. look at your struggles you know, with, with sugar or with food as just it's just a sign that you're a tender human being. And those feelings and those cravings are simply needing care. One other thing I wanted to ask you, um, because I see this a lot, um, former alcoholics who have been sober for 5, 10, 15 years um, have moved into sugar addiction and it's kind of viewed as, you know, it's less bad. You won't get pulled over for a DUI. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, it, but you know, there's a huge connection there because it happens a lot. Um, there is, you know, something wrong with the biochemistry, with the, um, you know, emotional thing that is still being medicated instead of alcohol, it's sugar. Do you see that too? Mm -hmm. You know what I see often in talking with people is that there's often a family history of alcoholism and or you know, sugar and carb addiction. In other words, as some, it may show up in some people as um, a weight problem, whereas others, a lot of people will talk about they'll have alcoholism running in their family. I hear from a lot of people who've dealt with other addictions, who've dealt with addictions to alcohol or um, addictions to drugs. Um, you know, it's like food is one of the more socially acceptable addictions in our culture. Um, and in, yes, in, in many ways, yeah, you're not getting pulled over for that DUI. I have tremendous compassion for anyone who struggles with an addiction because I've dealt with over 20 years of addiction in my own life. And the fact that for me it came in the form of sugar and food and not drugs or alcohol, I guess for me I don't really see a difference. It's the same uh, longing to, to soothe that hurt inside um, it's the same, I think, sensitivity. I think people who struggle with addiction are tend to be some of the most sensitive, tender-hearted people I've ever met. And that sensitivity I see as a great gift. Um, so I actually created a whole, we could get in a whole story, another phone call about that, but I actually created a whole approach 
to healing addiction through self-compassion and self-acceptance and self-kindness that I call growing mm-hmm. human kindness. And okay. the reason I did that was because I felt like, you know, a lot of the ways that we approach addiction um, can feel can feel critical. But to go back to the alcohol question, yes, there absolutely is a connection. And, again, I'm going to refer back to the person who really taught me about about that, which is Kathleen de Maison. And in her book, she actually started her work um, with sugar addicts because she was working with alcoholics. And so she actually sees alcoholism as a form of sugar addiction. Um, so, again, it's the same kind of um, biochemistry there of, uh, of wanting that sugar hit. It's just that for me, I always cared. For, you know, I really wanted the food. I wanted the candy bars and the... Uh, I didn't want the drinks. Um, that's how my sugar addiction appeared in my body. And then people, um, you said this, that sugar was my mother, my best friend, you know. And so there's that, too, that, you know, you have to consider that some of us had crummy parenting, and that plays into the sugar addiction as a child, um, just, you know, finding comfort that way and then moving into alcohol and then moving back to sugar or both. But, you know, there I like the, your approach because it encompasses help for all these people that whether it's, you know, part biochemistry, part, you know, your family, psychological, you know, emotional, mm-hmm. it's not your fault either way, you know, because you... Um, you're no match for biochemistry. When your brain, you know, the blood sugar is dropping, it's going to call you into the kitchen to find some carby food, and that's Mm -hmm. not your fault. And it's not your fault that you had emotional ties to food because you had poor parenting. But, you know, healing is possible, and, you know, there helps available, and somebody who understands because she's walked the path, you know, is Carly Pittman. So, you know, maybe you can just give us a little thumbnail of what's in your books and programs and how would a person start, you know, if they want to take a step on the path with you, you know, they're going to hear this message and we don't want you to just hang up from the call or stop listening and just go away feeling guilty. You know, what's an action step and what kinds of things will they find in your programs? Mm-hmm. I think if I could think of a couple action steps, it would be the first thing I tell people when they're working with sugar is to is to soften any self-blame. I just say to people over and over, it is not your fault. And in fact, blaming and judging ourselves actually impedes our growth on a brain level. It puts us into fight or flight. And when we're in fight or flight, and we can't access the higher regions of the brain where we can pause and slow down and, and find those deeper intentions. The second thing I would, as an action step for people, is I would look at giving up sugar as actually the last step in implementing some changes in your life. And what I mean by that is if sugar is a way that you're caring for yourself, um, in a way of coming down, in a way of relaxing, and a way of self-soothing, if you just say, well, I'm going to stop eating sugar without having other ways of caring for yourself in place, it's going to feel really, really hard. So on an emotional level, 
um, what the what I teach and what the work is about is about caring for your tender humanity, your emotions and your needs with gentleness and care. On an emotional level, all a sugar craving is is a sign of an unmet need. It may be a physiological need. It may be that you have low blood sugar and you're hungry. It may be that you're deficient in some minerals. Um, it may be a sign of some out-of-balance hormones. On an emotional level, it may be that you're feeling lonely. It may be that you're feeling overworked and you need to come down. It may be that there's a sadness coming up in your life. So on a physiological level, you want to really look at your self-care habits. So it might be changing one thing at a time. It may be eating breakfast if you're skipping breakfast. It may be eating regular meals. On an emotional level, it's giving yourself what you need it's becoming that loving mother to your own heart. So those are the two places where I suggest people um, to start. And what I would say to any listener is that the key to healing the emotional aspects of sugar addiction is what helps you heal and change is by creating a self-loving relationship with every part of yourself. It's attuning to your needs and your emotions and your feelings and not making them wrong and caring for those unmet needs in a more authentic way than with sugar. The fact that you've been caring for them with sugar or food is not your fault and you've been doing the best you can. Um, And as you said, healing is possible and we can retrain ourselves to find um, more authentic ways of relating. So in many ways, that my journey out of sugar addiction was really about healing my relationship with myself, um, which has been a a beautiful journey that I wouldn't trade for anything. So if that appeals to to you and you're wanting to learn more, you can go to my website, which is sugaraddictionbook.com. There's a free newsletter that you can sign up where you can get a couple free chapters of my book, Overcoming Sugar Addiction, and regular encouragements on giving up sugar Um, And in my book, Overcoming Sugar Addiction, I really outline the nuts and bolts of how I did it. And then in the 30-day list, I take the principles in Overcoming Sugar Addiction and walk you through in a gentle, compassionate, supportive way through the first 30 days when you're trying to shift into a low-sugar diet. So that's a program based on a compassionate approach to habit change. It's not a boot camp. It's not a you know, do or die, balls to the wall kind of experience. It's particularly made for people who are highly sensitive and who really need that gentle approach. Um, So those are some ways that you can go and learn more about me and my work and uh, get some tools and resources to support you on your journey. So the sugaraddictionbook.com, is that just for the book? What about the 30-day, is there a different website? Nope, all my sugar products are on sugaraddictionbook.com. So they're all there, and that's where you can go to learn all about them. Okay, awesome. Well, this has been really helpful, and you know, I like giving practical help for people. And I am, you know, if you haven't walked the path, there's only so much you can really understand. And so I wanted to have you on because you've lived, you know, a sugar addict's life. So you know um, the feelings, the, you know, the roadblocks when it feels too hard, 
what do you do when I don't feel like doing this anymore or Thanksgiving mm-hmm. rolls around and there's a pumpkin pie and so you know there's <laughs> answers and there's help we don't have to just white knuckle it like you said so thank you for being a guest today and for the work that you're doing and the help that you're bringing and the encouragement and just, you know, the the love and care for people that they need because their families don't get it. They're just saying, just, you know, decide before the brownie's there. Like, why are you eating? Are you mm. sad? You know, they don't have those thoughts. They just eat it. <laughs> so it's mm. really hard. But if you just can follow Carly's program and slow down and, um, you know, just take in, I would definitely do the 30-day thing and just let that soak and wash over you and get into you and just replace some of the negative self-talk with some of those positive um, readings that you'll be doing. And, and you have some recordings as well, or is it just reading? Yeah, the 30-day lift is actually an audio-based program. Think of it as like you're getting 30 days of coaching from me. So they get a – it's delivered by email, and there's a short email with specific tasks to do for that day and an audio to listen to. Um, so it breaks it down into really doable, manageable steps. You know, there's something, I think of it in this way, you know, I, I practice yoga and I sometimes do yoga at home, but it's so much easier for me to go to yoga class at my yoga studio because I just relax and I'm led by the teacher. So I'm not thinking about the sequence and what to do. I just relax and follow. Um, and there's something that's very comforting about that in the same way that if you were going to the gym and you were doing a group class versus working out on your own. When we're with other people and when we feel led in that way, um, it doesn't feel as stressful. So in the same way, the 30-day lift, instead of you having to figure out on your own, what do I do today, um, what do I need to be thinking about, I take all that on my shoulders so you can relax and receive and let down, and your job is just to focus on your healing and growth, where I take on the role of um, this is what you're going to do today. So that puts your brain, in a, in, again, in the optimal space for for growth and healing when you can relax and receive in that way. On a brain level, it's very, very nourishing and supporting. Terrific. Well, if you're listening and you want to be free from these uh, consequences of sugar addiction, if you want to be free of the negative self-talk, and and if it seems impossible, it's not. And, you know, Carly offers you some really great help. So visit her website, sugaraddictionbook.com. Well, thank you, Carly. It's been great, and I appreciate you being on the show today. Mm, Thank you for having me, Erin. It's a real pleasure and a real Real honor, and I'm just really touched and grateful. So thank you so much. Okay, you have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, listeners, that was Carly Pittman, and you've um, gotten her website a few times, but I'll tell you one more time, sugaraddictionbook.com. So tune in. We will be talking with Dr. Osborne about gluten and It's not what you think. It's not just wheat, barley, rye, and sometimes oats. There's a much bigger story, and I think we need to hear it and find healing for our digestive system, which if you heal the gut, then you're going to heal a lot of other things. 
So come back, tune in, uh, listen to the archives, and you can find them all on iTunes. Just plug in Get Better Wellness into iTunes, and you'll see something like 60 podcasts on a variety of subjects. So listeners, have an awesome day, and we'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye.